Blog Talk Radio. Today's topic is building on the King legacy. 
and why the black agenda must be pushed this year and why it's important to America to do so. I am Rodney Smith, your host in the air chair. My co-host is Mrs. Angela Thomas. She's been a little under the weather, and uh, she will be joining us uh, soon, whether it's today or in one of the upcoming shows when she's feeling better. And speaking of weather, oh, my goodness, have you seen the weather back east? Wow. You don't even have to go all the way back east, but how about in the Midwest? Again, when people ask me, why am I here in Las Vegas? I think it's almost, what, 60 degrees today? And do we have any snow? There you have it, right there. Well, everyone, our thoughts and prayers go out to those folks back east in the Midwest who are being hammered by the severe uh, nor'easter snow that seems to be happening back there. Uh, some people say it's global warming. Uh, associated with man Some people just say it's the natural Cycle of the earth Let's just say it is The natural cycle of the earth And let's just say We are doing That is Accelerating it and things that we can Do to maybe Slow it down a little bit Either way shouldn't we consider It Well I guess that's my step into the political arena today. This has been a busy week, as so many weeks have been. Last Saturday this time, we were doing our show, and we were talking about the upcoming 8th Annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil. Well, that is uh, behind us now, and we did have a nice turnout of people who seemed to enjoy it, and I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that they came out. And the young people, let me tell you, from 4.30 to 5.30, there was actually an event led by Tanisha Martin of Unity Vegas, but basically preteens, teenagers, did some of the best murals. I mean, these things were from the heart. It was, it was them telling us, how they see the world. And it it couldn't help but touch me because Dr. King did his work was for young people, uh, for people like me at the time, because I was I was a young man uh when Dr. King was alive. But his work did touch me. And here it is so many years later, with still many of the fights still to be fought and won. Many battles fought and won already, though, and let's not forget that. But I, I could not help but think, what is, how are we building on the dream? How are we building on the legacy of Dr. King? And why this year's voting is so important to everyone, and specifically to black people, but ultimately why it's important to all of America. And I wanted to I wanted us to have a discussion about that today. I wanted us to take some time out and and you know, maybe share if we can and if anybody wants to call in and, 
and give their input, you can dial 347-826-9600. 347-826-9600. I'd like to get your input in it. I know some people are going to say, well, why is it the black vote? Doesn't every vote count? It's sort of like black lives matter, all lives matter. And then I, I go back to what the guy said. Of, well, when you have cancer, you talk about diabetes. When you have cancer, you talk about your foot ache. When you have cancer, all illnesses matter, or do you talk about cancer? Because cancer is what's eating you up. Well, in America, I'm going to go and say it, racism, which is a part of white supremacy, and white supremacy is a part of racism, is the cancer of this country. It is the black plague of the nation. And we're feeling it. There have been times in our country's history when we had the cure, but we didn't use it. And now we find ourselves 500 years later dealing with the results of not using the cure back then. I wanted to talk about the importance of the King legacy and building on it because I hear young people often talk about what Dr. King did was so terrible, and they talk about integration and how terrible it has been for black people. And, but I say you have the right to vote where you didn't have it before. Are we going to exercise that right? Are we going to maximize having that right? Because, see, that's on us. And that's what he did. And if you, don't, if you think he should have done more, then, okay, let's talk about the more. Talk about the more. Because that was then and this is now. And we, we, I mean, that is where we go, is what didn't get done. Okay. List those things. Name those things. Identify those things. And then to eliminate those things. Let's put a check mark by those. In other words, whatever was done during Dr. King's time was putting rungs on the ladder that leads us upward. Okay. That was 50 years ago. Well, 48. So that was then, this is now. Whatever was not completed or whatever needs more added to it, I say let's get to adding it to it. So today's show, how do we build on that legacy? Where do we go from here? I also put down that voting in this year's election. Voting is always important because it determines our government. It determines our government. It determines who represents us in the process. And I, I've been talking about this for a long time, and I don't want it to go the significance of the importance of numbers. We're losing numbers. We are losing that battle. 
There are many battles being fought. One of those battles being fought is the battle of numbers. In other words, if we live in a society where the majority votes rule and you don't get the majority vote, that means what you wanted doesn't happen, doesn't take place. Now, just because you have the most numbers may not mean you get the most votes because everybody may not want what you want. But we do know that all too often those groups with the most numbers do get what they want. And that doesn't mean that they're against any of the other groups. It just means that we all fight for ourselves. Now, ourselves can be ourselves individually. Ourselves can be our family, our neighborhood, our cities, our counties, our states, and, of course, our country. Right? We know this. So for black people who are not white people, nor are they white people with brown skin, they are black people, African-Americans. We are a separate and unique group of people with similar concerns of everyone else, but also with different concerns. Now, why this political thing is important is because all too often our political concerns get suppressed. Oh, don't talk about that because we we won't win. We can't talk about that because they may say something about it. And that has gone on really for a long time. And there's even been times when I've I've accepted it. And maybe we should have accepted it for a little while. Because you know you don't sometimes know just how damaging or bad something can be until you experience it, right? But we have experienced it now. We can see the effects and the impact that it has had. Question becomes, when do we get our turn? When do we get the spotlight? Now, many people say, well, you had it in the 60s. You had it in the 70s. That's somebody else's turn. Well, I'll say maybe we were in the process of getting it in the 60s and 70s, but we did not have it. And so if we didn't have it then, we should still strive to have it now. So when people say, no, we need to talk about this group or that group, I say, that's fine. Talk about this group and that group. But include me in all both of those categories because maybe I'll actually fit in one of them. That's why the Black Lives Matter thing was so important to be stated because all too often it's everyone matters except us. Or, yes, yeah, you're important to us, but these people are important to us, and we know that we have you, and we need to get those people over there so that we can possibly do some of those things that you want us to do. And then when they get those people after we wait, then they tell us, well, we're going to do for you, we're going to get to you, but we need to do for these over here first. Again, maybe 
initially it was okay to go along. But you see, it has constantly been that. So much so that in the congressional district that I live in, that has the highest percentage of African-Americans in the state. The party does not put up, push, talk about one black person running for that congressional seat. Now, I'm sure they know the numbers as well as I do, if not better, that others are coming into this area. And it won't be too long before we, as an African-American, won't have a numerical superiority, which means that there will be others coming to get their seat at the table. And that is fine. That's great. That's actually the way it should be. But what I'm saying is, even though we may not have a seat at the table, we want our seat at the table, too. And if we do have a seat at the table, we want to keep our seat at the table. Well, if the majority, which is white people, Caucasian, have the majority of the seats at the table, and I have a seat or I'm in the process of getting a seat, and then others also now, because of their numbers, which adds up to political clout, They want their seat at the table, too, and I welcome them to the table. Here is, get a little tricky, who is giving up that seat at the table? Or if I don't have a seat at the table because there's limited seats, whose seat am I taking or who's taking my seat? That is the crux of the matter. I welcome others to the table. Every Friday we have a gathering and we break bread on a table and we open it up to everyone. But sometimes we run out of seats at the table. You know, there's no more adding tables. There's no more chairs. that can, We just run out of seats. And then if someone else wants a seat, somebody has to get up. Luckily, the men are gentlemen, and if a lady comes, the men will offer them, offer that person their seat. That's being a gentleman. They have eaten. They will eat. But at the political table, unfortunately, it works a little different. And the way that this works is when you get your seat, that is the seat. And it doesn't revolve from, okay, now you have a turn, now someone else has a turn. This is your seat. No one wants to give up their seat at the table because when they give up their seat at the table, that means their power has diminished. And see, we'd like to think that we could share a seat at the political table like we do at the gathering table, and then we can take turns. But see, that's not reality, because no one wants to give up power. Heck, I wouldn't want to give it up either if I had it. 
So because we and so these are things that are fundamental, right? So how do we get things to change for us while we have the opportunity to get a seat at the table? And I say it's quite simple. We need to get that seat at the table. Over time, there will become other seats at the table that are vulnerable, again, because of the numbers. And some of these other groups may be able to get their seat at the table. But, see, I want my seat at the table for my people so that I can do, we can do as much as we can while we have that seat at the table to put some things in place. Because oftentimes, once you put a thing in place, it takes a lot of effort to undo it. So the key is to get it there in the first place. I'm saying right now that African Americans need to get that seat at the table. And in this case, it is in Nevada Congressional District 4, known as CD4. It is the seat that former Congressman Stephen Horsford held. As a matter of fact, it was a new seat created because of the census. He was the first, not only was he the first African-American in Congress to represent the great state of Nevada, but for all times, he will also be the first person to hope that will keep four districts in Nevada because it's done every 10 years. The Census Bureau looks at population. So if other places grow more than us or if we lose population, we can lose our seat. But until that happens, we have that seat. And I don't expect us to lose that seat anytime because this is a, and has been a fast-growing state. So how do we get that power? How do we get that seat at the table? Well, one way is we have to run for office. And we need African-Americans to run for office. New blood, fresh blood, a different perspective. That is all, diversity has always been the strength of this country. And I believe it's also the strength of this state. So we need diverse ideas in the mix. We need people who can talk about the needs They've experienced it. No one can talk about my experiences better than me. No one can talk about your experiences better than you. So I believe it's critically important this year to help build on the King legacy is we have to have a black agenda. Then we have to have people in position to support and push that agenda. And I believe that there's no better people to do that than African Americans to do it for themselves. I am openly advocating, yes I am, that a black person run and that black people and others, of course, vote for, for that person as long as that person is supporting the black agenda. Now, they can have other things that they support, too. 
and they should. But a part of the things they take, that they must support is a black agenda. We should not put it off any longer. We should not have to whisper about it, cover our mouths when we say it, even feel embarrassed. We need to openly talk about the black agenda. Now, here's, this is something kind of unique amongst black people's achievements in America is that when we achieve, all of America achieves. It opens the doors for so many others. Now, that's just, that's just reality. And you can look back from, well, you can go all the way back to when after slavery, most gains for civil rights and equality of other groups in this country has its genesis. Proud to say that. It was due to us, in part, that everyone else has been able to achieve in America. America has been better as it has embraced black people into the process. So, what I'm saying is that even though I talk specifically as what would be good for black people, I'm saying what's good for black people is also what's good for America. What is good for black people is also what's good for America. And I believe we have enough history to prove that out. We need to talk about the black agenda, what it is. We need to list items on that agenda. We need to sort and categorize items on that agenda, we need to prioritize items on that agenda, formalize the agenda, develop speaking points for the agenda, and then we need to give it candidates and say we want you to support this. Tell us which ones you can support. Tell us how you're going to support it. See, that's, to me, building on Dr. King's legacy. He lobbied passionately. He protested passionately for us to have the right to vote. Not just for us to have the right to vote. It is for us to vote. It is for us to know the issue. It it is for us to participate in the political arena. We cannot hold people accountable for not doing if we do not tell them what it is that we want slash need them to do. The black agenda does that. Whether it's the Jewish agenda, the LGBT agenda, the unions agenda, the immigration agenda, economic development agenda, they're all agendas, and they're all put on the table. You know, when we think about the candidates, what is the price 
that they have to pay for our vote. I'm not talking about money. So money can be a part of it. I'm not talking about a direct payment to me. I'm talking about what are you going to do to represent me? And I'm saying to you, in order for them to represent us, we have to tell them what we want them to do, what our agenda is, so that they can go about the business of representing us. Or we can go about the business of telling them how they did not or are not to push them to do so, and if they do not, then to elect someone else who will support our agenda. And I'm saying in Congressional District 4, you need a black person there. But, see, here's the thing. It cannot just be a black person. You know, all too often, the parties may give us a black person, whether it's the Republicans with Herman Cain and Ben Carson, or whether it's the Democrats with, let's see, when's the last time we had a black person run for president that the Democratic Party supported? Cause, and, I, and I say that, and many of you say, well, we had President Obama. The Democratic Party did not support President Obama. Even when President Obama, then Senator Obama, won the nomination, there was not this major outpouring of support. There was some support. As a matter of fact, there was still a faction with Hillary Clinton. There was a big push where you got to do something for her. It wasn't about him like it is with everyone else. It's okay, now you have to. It was almost like The Apprentice. Remember the year when the brother won and they said, and it was really a tight race, and they could have gone to the brother or the young white lady, and I thought she did a great job too. And when they said, you know, Dr. Mr. Trump said, you know, you you are the winner, but we're also thinking about maybe we can have two winners this year because she really did do that good of a job. And I thought, man, how magnanimous it would be if he, if the winner, the brother, had agreed to it. And when he declined and he said, this is not the apprentice, this is the apprentice, the title, I could see some disappointment on her face because she really did help him too. And I felt a sense of disappointment and let down. But actually, the brother was right. You know, it's like there's only one president. Now, I hope that she's gone on to do great things, and I hope that they have a good relationship and maybe even have gone into business together and created something great because they were both great. But this is where we find ourselves in politics. There can only be one, like the Highlander. Well, one person should be the one, but it should not be just a black person. It must be a black person equipped. Because we armed them with it, or her, with what we want them to do for us. And then we need to hold them accountable if they get elected. And there's no reason why a black person who has a black agenda could not get elected in CD4, Congressional District 4 in Nevada, because it is the largest concentration of African Americans in the state with over 80,000 voting age black people. So a big issue will be getting them to the polls. But also, they have to have that person to vote for. Now, there are four candidates that are Democrats who are running for the office. Lucy Flores, Ruben Cullen, John L. Osagera, and Susie Lee. 
all of them, minus Susie Lee, have been politicians before. And they're going against the Republican incumbent, Congressman Crescent Harding. And I think the Crescent Harding needs to be challenged. See, I believe in challenge. It, it makes us better. And this is, and we need to be made better because as a country, you know, we hear the, the Democrats talk negatively about the Republicans, and maybe so. But that is politics. But one of the things they say is that our country is on a decline, and I do believe that too. I believe a part of the reason why our country is on decline we haven't shored up as many of the various peoples of America that we could. Black people being one of them. Disabled people being another. Veterans being another. And then we have policies that happen. I was at the, uh, it was like a, a energy summit. It was uh, hosted by the Nevada EPA, and it was talking about energy and, and their new uh, energy plan and conservation plan. And in that discussion, the, the people were very upset that our Public Utilities Commission is sort of put uh, is stifling the development of renewable energy, especially solar energy. And I thought about that, and I thought about the way that it was done. My first question is, who are these people accountable to that did this? Are they elected? The answer was no. The answer was yes. Who appoints them? They said the governor. I said, well, who has oversight over them? I said, well, the governor, the governor can remove them. Now, so far, that's as much as I've been able to find out about the Public Utilities Commission. And the reason why I thought this was important is because the, in order to get power in Las Vegas, in Nevada, you have to have your you have to be connected to NV Energy. NV Energy is a company owned by Warren Buffett, who is a person I admire from a business perspective. But I realize he's a capitalist, and it goes a lot to what Donald Trump says. He spends his money to enhance his capitalism, ultimately his capital, money. So I, I put him in that category. That That's his motivation. That's what, what he does. Well, a part of it is that we are the sunniest state, and I say this often, we are the sunniest state and we're the sunniest city in the union. So you would think that we would lead the country, if not the world, but for sure the country, in the use of alternate energy and solar power, because not only do we have an abundance of sun, right, but we also have geothermal energy, and we, we have a lot of wind here. We have a lot of open spaces. And it's a way for the people to save money. But obviously the sun is not out at night. So you get your power during the day. Now, what you would think would happen is that the excess power that you get during the day, you can sell back to NV Energy or trade with NV Energy. 
you know, because the lines go both ways, right? And then at night, that excess power that you had, you would get it back at no cost to you because, after all, it's your power. Did you know that there's a tax on that? It may go by different names, but also you have to pay for that. Every month, there is a flat fee that you have to pay for that. Now, some people say, well, Rodney, because they are in the loop, it's only fair that you would pay for that. I was like, okay. All right, I can see that. But then they go even further in that you cannot get as much solar power as you like or maybe even as you need. The way this thing was set up was they take your last 12-month power usage, and then they would say, okay, you can get enough solar panels, enough solar potential to equate to your last year's energy use. So if you are, let's say, a single person living in in a house last year and you wanted solar power this year, then you can get it, but it was at your use last year. Now, let's just say you get married this year. Now, you, you have two people living in the same house. But because your power was based on your usage the previous year when you were single, you may now be at a deficit. And so, because your solar panels can only bring in what you used the year before, but now that there's two people in the house, you're using more. So that means you own NVMG for your power needs because you just don't have enough, right? So, And then you have to pay them for that power because they also set this thing up where after a certain time, you cannot sort of do this trade thing with NVMG or, you know, you have excess, you, they, you send it to them, you need that excess, they send it back to you, you're paying your monthly, I guess, usage fee, right, and then that's all it is to it. Not, it doesn't work like that. You have to pay them for that power now. And somebody needs to stand up and fight for the people. First of all, you should be able to put as many solar panels up as your rooftop can, and if you have excess power, there should be an arrangement. Okay, you pay a monthly utility bill, and then after you pay that monthly utility bill and, you know, your usage bill and you have excess power, then you should be able to get that without having to pay for that excess power, for using that excess power that you sent to them. Because keep in mind, those solar panels that you put on your roof, you pay for those. Now, the sun that's hitting those solar panels, it was going to hit those solar panels anyway. And if you didn't have those solar panels, then you would not have accumulated that energy. You would not have been able to send that to NV Energy. NV Energy would not have it. It almost seems like NV Energy is a parasite on all the people who, have, who now get solar panels. We need somebody to fight for the people on this. Where was our elected officials in the state legislature when this happened? Where are they now beating the drum to build support to change this? 
Because, again, just because it is in place now doesn't mean it can't be undone. There needs to be pressure on the governor since, as best I know, the governor is the one who appoints the people on the Public Utilities Commission to either get them to change it or he needs to remove some people who would be willing to change it and, and replace them. Well, that is the role that elected officials can play are being taken advantage of in so many areas, but that is a simple one. That is like a no-brainer. Now, there was a bunch of people who lost their jobs. Now those people have to go find jobs. Potentially some of them will be on the system. They're not paying taxes. They're out of work, right? No more payroll taxes. It affects the income tax balance. We need somebody there fighting for us. And I'm saying, and one of the reasons why this impacts black people, because the utility bill, the energy bill, can be, especially in the summertime, one of our highest bills. Well, let's say many of the poor people were able to take advantage of some of the tax credits that were out there, and they were able to retrofit their houses with solar panels, and that way now their energy costs come down. I didn't really think about how just how important this was until I was at this energy forum, and one of the things that some people talked about was how they had a home that was built in the 50s. Now, in the rest of the country, a home built in the 50s may not seem like that old, but in, in Las Vegas, it, it's pretty old because, you know, we just build homes here because of the growth. My, my home was built over 10 years ago, so now it's starting to feel like an old home, Right? But what they were talking about with these older homes was how energy inefficient they are. Now, my home is fairly energy efficient because it's fairly recently, right? It's just starting to get to be an old home. But these older homes, they leak a lot. And you can bring in someone to do an energy audit, and they'll tell you how efficient and effective your air conditioner, your furnace, right, They'll tell you about your ductwork. They'll talk to you about how much power, how much energy is leaking, and they'll help seal up the holes. And that's the next step is then they go about the business of making it as energy efficient as possible. And because it's more energy efficient, when you want it to be warm, you can retain your heat. When you want it to be cooler, you can retain your cool air. You don't have to burn your air conditioner turn it up so high, burn it so... So that's the importance of this energy audit. And I thought, and when they said that there's some people out there with some of these older homes who are no bigger than mine, but they have energy bills three, $400 a month. And it's not that they are keeping their, their internal temperature that much warmer or that much cooler in the summer. It's just that because their homes are so leaky, that they need more energy, more air conditioning in the summer, and more heat in the winter. And I thought that it's almost like these people are forced to pay, it's like an energy tax, because their homes are not adequate, so their utility bill is higher. So let's say they did, they were able to seal up many of those leaks, pay their energy bill, and suppose they could get solar power, solar panel, so they didn't have the steep of an energy bill. That can make the difference in their quality of life. 
And as I'm listening to this, I was thinking, wow, there's just so many areas where we need where we need a champion and we need champions. This is how you build on the legacy of Dr. King is you help the least of these. Whether it's the poor, the sick, those who capabilities may be impaired in some manner, that is building on the dream. Because when you help those people reach their fullest potential, it helps all Americans. As I said, when black people improve, have gained, America improves. The black agenda can be very long into multiple categories, or it could be in what is just a big one for right now. However it is constructed, it is something that we need, and it is something that we need to construct. Now, what I'm seeing in the city and really across the nation is I call them pockets of resistance as if we're fighting an insurgency, and maybe to a certain extent we are, of people coming up with ideas, concepts. We even have our own Vegas Black Think Tank here, which I hope to get the founder on the radio show uh, within the next few weeks because they have some exciting things planned. In other words, they're, they're going to work on what is needed to have that agenda, that that builds off of Dr. King's legacy. Though they may not state it that way, ultimately that's what it is. So in thinking about America, thinking about our state, your state, my city, your city, we truly need to have a revolution in thought, and we have a need to have a revolution in politics. Now, America's revolutions are not like others' revolutions. In other words, it's not with weapons that shoot bullets, kill you, but it is with words that profess ideas. And the black agenda needs to be those words that profess the ideas of what, what will help black America, which will ultimately help all of America. We must have an African-American who is armed with this agenda here in Nevada's Congressional District 4 and wherever you are to carry that agenda with the people's support. In other words, don't assuming you can get that person, then don't just get them, elect them, and leave. Ask them what it is you can do to help. Remind them of what they said. Get them to communicate with you on a routine and frequent basis. I can tell you, that's something I would do. And as I thought about what could I do at the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, the 8th Annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil, I was thinking maybe I should run for Because it's one thing to talk about others doing. But if the others are not there, then somebody has to step in and do it. And I've always been the person that said, if I had a choice, I'd rather be the king maker versus the king. Because then you can give money, you can volunteer, you can suggest, you can help out in many different ways to help stir 
the direction of the candidate or the elected official, right? And you don't have to go through the process of being elected. You don't have to go through the vetting. You don't have to go through the people saying bad things. Like somebody wants to hear bad things about you, the personal things, the attacks, especially the personal attacks, those are the worst, right? Hey, I'm not running to be your father, your husband, boyfriend. I would be running to be your representative. And if you felt that I would be someone who could represent you as you need to be represented, then I would want your vote. So as I thought about it, at the candlelight vigil, there's a portion of the candlelight vigil where we open it up for people from the community to get the microphone for a minute and talk about what Dr. King and his legacy and the dream meant and means to them. And as they were going through it, I had already been thinking about it, but it really hit me. I mean, it really hit me. And it says, Rodney, your mother used to always tell you there's nothing that you couldn't couldn't do. And she used to say, you can do it, Rod, you can do it. Well, since there is no black person who is running for CD4, and you see these things, you believe in these things already, then maybe this is destiny knocking at your door. You can do it, Rod. You can do it in the words of my mother. So at the candlelight vigil, I said that I would actively seek the people's vote to be the Democratic representative of Nevada's Congressional District 4, CD4, my Congressional District, the Congressional District that former Congressman Stephen Horsford held. So I am throwing my hat in the ring, so I am not running against any candidate, but I will be running for the people. Not the party, though I will be a Democrat. I will be running toward the people. And my candidacy will be very much like will be very much like Senator Bernie Sanders' candidacy, fueled by the people. I realize the union endorsements are already taken. Many of the big money donors have already picked one of the four that are running for the Democratic nomination. I understand that. I understand this will not be easy. I understand that I will be the overwhelming underdog in the race, right? I get it. I get it. I'm not a politician. I've never run for office before. I do not have experience as a politician. Guilty. But what I do have is a passion for my people, for my city, and for my state, and for my country also believe that we need someone who truly believes that we need to do more for black people, and black people need to do more for themselves, and we need to do more for our veterans, we need to do more for our disabled community, which many of them are veterans. And then there's some of these other issues, as I spoke of, education, we have got to do something about these things, and we've got to do it now. Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders, 
has been the only candidate that has come out and said that he will endorse improving education specifically in incorporating and in the integrating African American history and culture throughout all curriculum pre K through twelve colleges and publicly funded colleges and universities and other schools of higher learning that are publicly funded. Senator Bernie Sanders said that. I want to run for Congress to help bring that not only just to this state, which our legislature has already approved a, a version of it, but to bring that to the rest of the country. I want to be a part of that political revolution that he talks about, the political revolution that we've talked about. I act this part. And I want it to be about ideas and concepts, not personal attacks. Who's made the most money? Who has the biggest corporate donors? Because that's a part of the problem. And Bernie Sanders talks about that. That truly is a part of the problem. And that's why we continue to get what we always have gotten. It's because whether sometimes it may be a different person, but the same people donate the union, the lobbyists. So even though the person may look different, their actions are the same. That's why this has to be a people-fueled candidacy. It has to be a people-funded candidacy. And it has to be a candidacy about ideas of and for the people. That's the only way I would be willing to run. That is how I plan to run. And I know, I know that as long as we realize the most powerful thing in America when it comes to government is the idea and the vote to support that idea, I want you to talk to me about your ideas, share them with me. I will share with you. Let's dialogue, conversation. And if you think I'm the one that is saying what I mean, mean what I say, and most importantly will do what I say and will support you the best, then please vote for me. I am... Rodney Smith, candidate for Nevada's Congressional District 4 seat, and I'm asking for your vote. We're, this is a new campaign. We will get our web page up. We'll get our Facebook page up. We'll get our business cards out. You'll start seeing us out and about. We're building up the team because this is grassroots. This is 100% grassroots, and I want you to be a part of it. You can contact me by phone at 702-430-6685, 702-430-6685. In the meantime, you can contact me on my Rodney Smith Facebook page. I'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you can go to the Our Own Voices live Facebook page and tell us what you think about the show today, our topic, and of my candidacy, and share your ideas. For those who want to see some of the ideas and things that I've talked about in my black agenda, you can go to What Do Black People Want, the Black Agenda on Facebook. What Do Black People Want, the Black Agenda on Facebook. And you can see my 10 items, and you can also see 
which is my agenda. Now, that doesn't mean it is the only agenda or it can't be modified. This is things that I came up with to get us so we can have something to talk about. And if you all agree to it, move on it. If, if there's a consensus that we need to change some things, then let's change some things. But let's let this be the foundation of what we build this candidacy on and how we can get our seat at the table, solidify that seat, have gains. Because remember, when African-Americans gain, America and Americans gain. I want to be a part of that. I believe we can do it, and I know I can do it with your help. Once again, Rodney Smith for Congress. Nevada's Congressional District 4, CD4. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show today. And I want to remind you that our topic today was building on the King legacy and why the black agenda must be pushed this year and how it improves America. I believe it. I hope you do, too. Let's make it happen together. Until next week. This is Rodney Smith on behalf of Angela Thomas signing off from Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 on the East Coast, bringing you topics about the Las Vegas Tri-City community and someplace near you. Go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook and give us some feedback. Don't forget to read more about the Black Agenda, what the Black people want, the Black Agenda on Facebook. And you can go to the Rodney Smith page. Let me know what you think about my declaring to run for Nevada's Congressional District uh, 4C. Thank you very much, everybody. And hopefully Angela Thomas will be back next year, next, uh, excuse me, next week. Everybody have a good week. Be safe. And for all of my East Coast listeners, please be safe. Make sure you have plenty of supplies. Stay warm. And try not to go outside unless you have to. I believe most of the roads are closed, especially in places like New York and D.C. Stay safe. We want you back. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Bye-bye.